guess it was, it was pretty fair to say that you guys came out of gone home in a, a pretty good place as a company. Yeah. In terms of like, all right, we made a video game and presumably we would like to make more. Like, I <laughs> yep. guess you guys were in a, a pretty good position to do that, right? Yeah. No, I mean, you, you like, uh, you know, all, all we ever wanted to do was make a game that did well enough that we could make another one on our own terms, you know, because we, we self-funded the first one and now we have a few more people on the team and, you know, we're able to pay them salaries and stuff like that. So it's just like one step forward. We don't want to get, you know, bigger than we are. But uh, no, it is good when you can make a game in your basement and then it does well enough that you can like rent an office and have some more people on the team and stuff. How, how big have, have you guys gotten? Uh, we're eight people. Okay. Yeah. All in one place? Uh, our 3D artist, Kate, who was also the 3D artist on Gone Home, she uh, lives in Canada. She was in Canada on Gone Home okay. as well. But everybody else is in Portland. We've been gathering people up from all over the country. Um, Nina Freeman, one of our designers, moved from New York, and our programmer moved in from Austin, and our other designer moved in from L.A., and we pulled somebody from Seattle. So we're uh, we're... we're gathering everybody up into a sweet game development ball in portland <laughs> do you do you kind of strive to have as many people in one place as you can like is there a kind of a collaborative aspect to, to things for you yeah guys? i mean and you know there's a balance because we have everybody set up so that they can work from home as well as in the office but most of the time it's like yeah get together in one place be able to discuss things talk about stuff that that wouldn't have come up if you just if you weren't already around each other and then if you really just got to get some stuff done like when we're really working hard on like getting a demo together, like when you play it or something, or you're like making a trailer or something, generally the office is kind of empty because everybody's like, I'll just stay home, concentrate, get stuff done. So I think it's a, it's a good balance, you know? Studies show that uh, working in your underwear mm-hmm. makes you at least 120% more. That's why we have productive. such a strict uh, dress code in the office. Underwear only. Underwear only. Yeah. Um, do you have like a, a size in, in mind in your head? Like, I would never want the company to get bigger than X. Like, yeah. is it is like 20 people's too many or like yeah, do, do, 20 people is too many. <laughs> do, you guys, do you guys have triple A call of duty ambitions? or What's going on up there in Portland? No, I mean, um, Carla and I run the company together. And I think we both were like, we don't like, I don't know if we want to get any bigger than we are. We wouldn't mm-hmm. want to be bigger than like 10 people or something, you know, but who knows? Does, does yeah. that just seem like a good size for modern Kind of game development at a, at a certain scale, at the I scale that you so. guys are at. I mean, because the thing is, like, we don't want to end up making games that are, like, way huger than what we've already made. I mean, Tacoma is going to be bigger by one notch than um, than Gone Home was. You've but got two more weapons. Right? <laughs> yep. Three extra levels. Yeah, and you should see our upgrade tree. It's <laughs> fucked up. I um, love skill trees. <laughs> but... Um, you know, I think that it's like we don't want to make projects that are a lot huger. We don't want to have like two, you know, of our size projects going on at once. So it's like unless you really want to scale up what you're doing significantly, throwing bodies at a small project doesn't make it move faster. You know what I mean? So I think it's a good limiter on us not, you know, going crazy with like trying to make something too big. If we're like, okay, we're not going to hire enough people that we even could make triple a scale game if we wanted to you know it's just like it's just it's just too there's just too much going on at that point you know like it's it's really hard i think to make something that is of a really big size and also be able to have it just be completely like internally funded and everything it's like i don't want to be doing the the you know funding shuffle personally right you know i mean like and i've absolutely recognize that we are in 
a very fortunate place to even have that option. I mean, I love the fact that Kickstarter can make so many games possible and early access can make so many games possible. But, you know, we're in a place where if we maintain a reasonable scale, we can kind of do things on our own term, which is uh, which is a which is very exciting. I, I kind of get the sense from a lot of a lot of developers at the size that you guys are at the kind of small handful of, of people working together like a lot of people seem to start out with the intention of designing and building video games and then find themselves largely running a business yeah. with the video game aspect kind of yeah. shoved to the side. No, and I mean, it's important sometimes to have somebody who that's their main job, mm. you know, and it's true that like part of the reason that we hired another couple of designers um, for for Tacoma is during Gone Home's development, all we really had to do on a daily basis was make the game most of the time there was some you know publicity and stuff we had to do and entering it into like festivals or something but like generally speaking the only job was to to get the game made and now you know more of my time and more of carla's time is taken up with stuff that isn't making the game it's like communicating with people outside the studio or like you know you have employees so you have to make sure they're doing all right and you know there's a bunch of logistical stuff where to make something of even a similar scale less of our bandwidth can go into making it now so it's like okay that's how that's how hiring a couple of people can help to say like okay i i don't if if we need to get this thing in and i'm the only one that's going to be able to do it like something has to give like it, either i don't get to do the other stuff that isn't making it or it doesn't get to go in the game or the right. game takes forever to finish or, or you never get to sleep again <laughs> which you know if i had if i could pick one superpower it'd probably be <laughs> never to be tired sure just like oh always feeling good just reclaim that third yeah, of your life exactly taken away from hours you. a day yeah. um so yeah it's, it, try, trying to find something that allows us to to keep doing the stuff that that we want to do even though there's kind of more more stuff going on in the background than there used to be yeah so i mean the the the, the context for this conversation is mm-hmm. that i played i played a good 20 30 minutes of the game yesterday yeah um thank you for coming over and yes it thank out. you for having me uh and obviously, you know, coming out of Gone Home, there are some pretty stark similarities uh, to the game in terms of, you know, exploring an environment that has been vacated. Yeah. Uh, finding a lot of kind of, you know, found storytelling devices, you yeah. know, sort of, I don't know, ambient narrative or whatever, mm-hmm. whatever you want to call it. Uh, did you come out of the previous game with, like, the intention of making another game with that kind of similarity? Or or did you come to it organically? Like, how, how did how did that, that kernel form? Yeah, well, we wanted to use Gone Home as a starting point. You know, we wanted to say that we felt like there was a lot more that you can do within that design space. You know, like, and and Gone Home in a lot of ways was the version that probably had, like, kind of the fewest moving parts, almost. Like, I mean, one of our one of our points of reference when we made Gone Home was Dear Esther. And I feel like, you know, Gone Home is sort of, I feel like Dear Esther is almost like the version with the fewest moving parts because it's you you mostly walk and and hit audio triggers as you're walking and, and and look at stuff and so it's like okay we took that and added on some of this kind of like more interactive environment to it um, and more detail to objects that you can uh, examine and all that kind of stuff but if if Gone Home is where we started from we wanted to say okay we. We, we know how to make those. We are good at it. It draws from the experience we had in like AAA working on the Bioshock series um, in a lot of ways. And, you know, we're, we're excited about what we were able to do with it and the story we were able to tell with it. But, you know, there's a lot more stuff that you can do in that space and that you can kind of 
evolve and expand smartly from there to something that hopefully feels like it stands on its own and has a lot to it that um that feels like it makes it a a a, a unique experience um but you know we we the practicality of it is we wanted to say like well you know we're going to be bringing on some new people it's really good to be able to say we're starting from something that that we've already built and we know how to build. And so our challenge is to take that to the next step that, that we find interesting and hopefully players will find interesting as opposed to just like, let's make an RTS now or something, you know, like, um, which it's not to say that making wildly different games like, uh, is not sometimes a really cool and interesting idea, but we are kind of looking at it in terms of let's keep, you know, pushing that path forward for us, you know? Yeah. I asked you about yesterday, yesterday in the, the aborted version of this interview, <laughs> we'll never see the light of day cause we got cut short, but, uh, we talked some yesterday about the, I don't even know if there's, is there a pithy industry term yet for the, for the kind of game this is? Well, not, not so much the type of game, but the okay. setting specifically, like, you know, it goes back a good 10, 15 years, the, the sort of the, the empty environment, the kind of post cataclysmic, like something yeah. bad has happened here, but nobody's here to tell the tale. Yeah. I like, mean, I, I don't know what that setting is, but we've, um, I mean, you know, the, the kind of, um, you can refer to it as like environmental storytelling. I, the thing that I, the one, one term that someone that I worked with used that I liked was, um, was forensic storytelling, okay. like forensic, right. uh, uh, gameplay, which is yeah. your job is to come to the scene where something happened before you got there and, and play the part of the investigator yeah, and put the clues together, you yeah, know? That's um, a, okay. and, and I think that's, that's a cool, interesting, useful way to look at it. And so with us for Tacoma, it's sort of like if gone home was forensic storytelling in terms of, you come into this environment and it's just you and the environment and the artifacts you find with Tacoma. Can we say there's new kinds of stuff to find and new kinds of evidence as it, as it were for you to kind of synthesize in that role that wouldn't have been possible in gone. Yeah. Uh, I, I feel like there's, there's something maybe a little more voyeuristic about some of the stuff I saw in, in yeah. the game because you know, there are holographic representations of what the people were actually doing from time to time. Yeah. Like you're stumbling on like text message logs and, mm-hmm. and like kind of Google searches and, and right. all kinds of stuff like that. Like, is there, is, do you guys have any kind of like in world justification for why you're able to access this stuff? Or is it just like well, at a certain yeah. point, do you have to suspend a little disbelief to kind of hit the design notes that you want as far as leading the player along? Or? I, I mean, I guess it's both in terms of, you know, in, in Gone Home, even, I think that you had to suspend disbelief a little bit to say like, like you, kind of like just happened to find stuff in roughly chronological order right you know and you and you, you i don't i don't think most players me I, I myself as a player i don't generally think about that consciously but mm. when you look back on it especially when you have to design stuff like that it it interestingly reinforces it's like oh the space is the story like the progression through the space is the progression through the chronology so like in bioshock it's like huh it's it's weird how these audio di- how you find these audio diaries in chronological order right just it, it, just, it just happens, happens to, be to be the yeah. order that you're moving through this city right. you know um, this person spent their last few seconds alive mentioning the code for this storage <laughs> locker that's very convenient and so you know there are some of these conceits that you kind of have to say like oh okay well you know you found these notes in the right order isn't that lucky people aren't really going to think about that consciously but then the other side of it is in Tacoma yeah you're you're finding these 
digital traces of these people and their specific exchanges and specific moments. It's not like every single piece of digital communication that's ever been in the, in the station is present. And so, you know, part of the, the mystery or, you know, the, the situation that you encounter that you're trying to figure out is, yeah, I, should I be able to be seeing these at all? Because like, presumably they wouldn't just be floating around for everybody to see. And furthermore, why am I only seeing the stuff that I'm seeing, you know? Um, and, and I think that something that's cool about a game like ours is that we don't really have to put that in front of the player. It can go unspoken because you just, it, it raises the question in and of itself. But that means that knowing that the question is going to be raised by the, 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 you know, form of the game, we have to, be conscious of that and say like, okay, part of our job is to at some point address like, okay, here's why all this stuff is like that. And for it to be satisfying and hopefully not to feel like it's, you know, just like, Oh, okay. That's a hand wavy justification. They had to like make up some bullshit for that. You know, if you can, if you can, 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 you know, like address that stuff in a way that feels satisfying. Um, and it feels like it is native to the world and not just an excuse, then hopefully that's when you've done your job. But you know, it's, uh, it's, it's really part of the creative like challenge of making a game like this is a lot of, a lot of the specifics of the story and the fiction and the characters lives and like what happened. A lot of it starts from, you know, so wait a second, why isn't anybody in this house? You know, and we don't start from saying like, we should make a story about how spoilers, you know, mom and dad are here and Sam is here. You're, you're like, well, we should make a game about how nobody's here. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, where are they? We have to figure that out and right. make, and make it feel satisfying to the player. So, um, you know, it can, it can be kind of, uh, it can be stressful sometimes when you're like, we still don't have, a, we don't have a good answer for that. Why are, why are you seeing all these things? You know? Um, but hopefully it, it drives us as developers to come up with, um, it keeps us honest, mm-hmm. you know. It's like you, you you have to come up with a with an answer to it that um, that feels legit, um, and it and it is really exciting when when you finally do. <laughs> sure. sure. Um, some of the touches I noticed as I was wandering around, I I, I took a very uh, broad approach to poking around in the game. I didn't want to necessarily like progress deeply through yeah. the story so much as just do a survey of like, all right, I want to see what the station is yeah. and kind of how it. I, I appreciated that. Um, that it felt like you didn't want to spoil it for yourself. Yeah, because I'd rather <laughs> I mean I'd rather wait and experience the story yeah. kind of holistically, you know. It's but also it's sort of like put on your video game press guy hat right, and yeah. like just like all right, I'm going to record the bullet points of how yeah. this game is put together. But and it so, is a cool hat. It is. It's got I a mean, little card in it and it says press. <laughs> yeah, it's very jaunty. Um, but one of the things I noticed was that there are a lot of there are a lot of little subtle touches that feel kind of grounded in like this technocratic dystopia that we find ourselves living in these days. <laughs> sure, like, yeah. like little things like, you know, I noticed that the station is the product of a merger between Virgin and Tesla. Like yeah. there's a, I found an audio log uh, where somebody is talking about like the ethics of AR dating, right. Dating somebody through augmented reality. Yeah. Uh, there was one other one I for, Oh, and then there was the, the kind of, there's like a frustrated Google search or it's a search of the station's right. AI or whatever, where it's like the person is, you can see in the search terms they're using, they're getting increasingly annoyed with the responses. They're, you know, it's just little little touches. It's like, oh, I could see, uh, what is it, you know, 70-ish years yeah. from now, like that's actually a believable way that people might be living. You know, yeah. like, what would you say the game's, like, view of technology and the way it kind of weaves its, in, its way in and out of people's lives is? Like, is it an optimistic view? Is it cynical? Have you, does I mean, it even have a perspective well, necessarily? 
That's a good. I mean, that's a good question. The thing is, like, generally when we're working on this stuff, I don't start from a point of like saying, "Here's a statement I want to make," right. you know. And so, interestingly, when you ask me that, I kind of have to be like, what, like oh, what, "What does the game? What do I think about that?" <laughs> you know. Um, I mean, I think that I, I feel like I'm in I'm in a similar place to a lot of people who it's like it's a it's, it's two sides of a coin, you know. That it's like okay, the all of this digital technology that is just a constant part of a lot of our lives now gives us incredible access to information we wouldn't have had and, 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 you know, connects us with people we never would have known before and all that kind of stuff. And the other side of it is like, I'm never not being bombarded by this information. And there are all these privacy issues where it's like, Oh, do I really want all these big corporations to know all this stuff about me? And even if I don't think about it, it's still true that it's happening. And is it okay that I can just sort of like, tune that out like blah 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 and um you know so i think that what we wanted to try to do was say you know tacoma is speculative fiction it starts from where we are and then tries to extrapolate and i think that you know we are on some level um making calls about like well maybe we think this is a plausible direction for for technology to go you know or maybe this is a plausible direction for you know the kind of the fates of these big companies that already exist to go or whatever um and for me i thought you know we're we're at a point where everybody in you know the kind of like modernized high-tech world um we're always walking around and then we can just pull out a screen and look at it and you're kind of focused and you have this little window into the digital world and then you can look back up in the physical world and i think that probably the the most to me anyway um plausible direction that goes is like this just pervasive constant augmented reality like overlay it's like why do i have to pull out a physical screen and look at it to see whatever information i want it feels to me like it it's a natural evolution to just kind of see that stuff and um, have it in your view and have it be part of the world and have it be in some cases you know like oriented in the world and uh and and sort of be uh, part of the physical space in that way and so then when we say well, I think AR is going to be a big part of of these people's lives, especially on on a you know this like high tech facility like a like a space station. Then you, you have to start answering questions like, okay, well, what form does it take, and what implications does it have? And you you obviously start drawing from where we are now and say, well, when you step into the station, there's a notification, you know, there's a notice that you can interact with if you want that just says, by entering this facility, you are agreeing to be recorded constantly oh wow um you know and yeah and that's grim (laughs) and it's and it's like uh the 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 assumption is that you know that's just a fact of life Mm -hmm. for people in this world because what i what we were thinking about is like okay right now you go into starbucks and it's like you should download the starbucks app or whatever but i our version what we were thinking of for the future is that it's just assumed that it's just like there's just these notices. It's like it's like in California how there's the notices that are like this facility contains cancer causing agents. Right. You know, and, and you just ignore it. You're like, okay, buildings give me cancer, fine. And you go and you don't read it. <laughs> just and like so, everything else. <laughs> and so you're in you know, we're thinking in this world, instead of go download the Starbucks app, it's like there's just a notice next to every door that's like by entering this Starbucks, you have agreed to let Starbucks show you AR stuff. Uh, not against your will because you're agreeing to it by going there at all but like people are just like okay i i get it everywhere i go i'm agreeing to have my you know consciousness invaded by whatever this corporation wants to show me because generally it's supposed to be benign 
but what if it's not? And right. what are they collecting? And what do they know about you from serving you that information and blah, blah, blah. And so like, especially on a facility like Tacoma where the crew is completely isolated, they, you know, they're in space. They can't go outside. They, their only connection to the outside world is through digital communications. It becomes one step deeper into them being like the, 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 the AR system, the computer system has to be tracking me constantly for like the safety of the station. Like what if, you know, they register that my bio readings show that I've been injured and I'm unconscious. So they have to tell the crew to like, go get me or, you know, like so on and so forth. Um, but part of what the player is discovering having, you know, um, entered the facility is that, part and parcel of that is there, there are also all these communications, all this evidence of stuff that doesn't have anything to do with safety or with the, the running of the station or whatever has also been recorded and you're getting access to it. And that, that I think that on some level that speaks to where we are mm-hmm. today and hopefully makes it part of a creative premise. Um, you know, like a fictional premise that, um, that, is interesting because of the access it gives you to the characters more so than being like a statement about modern day society, sure. but it, it, it kind of has to come from there. Yep. You know, like I think, I think we just have that context and I, I, I think that's cool in terms of, I love watching 2001 and seeing that the space airline is Pan Am, which doesn't exist right. anymore. Right. And that the, you know, the, the, the lounge on the space station is a Howard Johnson's and doesn't exist anymore. It's like, that is, the sixties extrapolation of what 2001 might be like. And so if we're the, you know, 2016 extrapolation of what our future might be like, it becomes instantly dated, but at least it is kind of a window back into the time. Yeah. It was created like a commentary on its. Yeah, absolutely. The environment that you made it in when you, when you put it that way, it it actually, the fact that they notify you that you're being recorded at all times actually feels like progress because, because <laughs> now you go everywhere and you're still being recorded all the time, but nobody tells you. you well, know? it kind of it's, it's sort of like when you download you know an app. There was all of that. Um, I remember at some point there was a hullabaloo about how the the terms of service for Uber were like we can just download everything on your phone, all your personal emails, every, you know, and it's just like technically that notification was there, but we live in a time and place where no one looks at the notifications until. Mm-hmm. One guy does, right. and then it makes a blog post about it, and people get mad. But you know, we've we've kind of learned to say, like, I get emails from, I don't know, whatever services, you know, like that that I use, uh, Facebook or whatever. And it's like, there's been an upgrade, update to the terms of service, and I just like click delete. It's like maybe that just said now we can download money from your bank account like i don't know right because everybody's like uh terms of service change all the time it's fine and so i think that that's the state that people are in where they're like well the price of entry for using this super you know useful technology is they can just watch me all the time but i i trust them not to do anything bad with it <laughs> you know what i mean sure uh so one of the uh one of the very first things you notice when you kind of enter the station and start wandering around is that you guys are playing with gravity as a mm-hmm. i guess as a, you know you could call it a game mechanic I guess you know that'd be a first for us. <laughs> you know, I mean, but you know, it, it is. It's, I, I would it's, say, written, I would it's written into the the exploration. Yeah, obviously. Yeah, I, I would say that it is uh, the kind of one of the core traversal yeah. mechanics right. in the in the station. Yeah, I mean, all it, all it really is is looking up at the ceiling and and then flying to the ceiling and turning and now, into the and floor. Now you're standing you know, and just kind of yeah, inverting yeah. things a lot. But uh, 
Was there a temptation since you had that in play, and then obviously there are a lot, you know, there's a lot of machinery in the space station and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Did you guys feel either tempted or like even obligated to design more kind of, for lack of a better term, like more video gamey puzzles for this game than you have before? You know, a lot more like key cardy kind of stuff or yeah. like physics puzzles or like was that in the back of your mind as you've been putting this together? Uh, I would say that um, that that the player's path through the game is certainly is certainly one step further in that direction than gone home was you know gone home did have some um locker combinations and you had to find a key to unlock a door and remember where it was check your map etc they weren't puzzles but you know that was kind of one of the gamiest things about it was really like we're going to organize this space by saying you have to explore it to find a key to open the door to find a map to find the secret passage to get them you know um and so i do think that tacoma um has thinking about the 3d space in like a slightly more complicated way just built into the core experience um because what we wanted to say you know what we wanted to do was be able to say all right you know we we've we've made all the games we've made uh they take place in you know a terrestrial environment it's it's a 3d space, but you kind of think of it in a 2d way. You're always locked to the floor and and you're scanning for stuff on that, that ground plane. Um, and you move on. And, and so, you know, we wanted to, in a few different ways, kind of add one layer of complexity onto what we've done before in Tacoma. And also hopefully, um, speak more directly to kind of like the, the identity of the, construction as like a three-dimensional space and something that you have to think about in three dimensions and you can't just say okay i'm gonna you know scrub this whole floor and find everything and then i'm done it gives us the opportunity to say i think i found everything on the floor oh wait if i look up oh if i was walking on that surface i could get around behind that thing and that probably connects to that other area and i can kind of you know discover more of the game by thinking of how you occupy the space in, you know, 360 degrees. Right. Um, and, you know, but, but we didn't want to go so far as to say, like, you're just constantly free floating and you have to kind of like understand, you know, classic like descent controls to like stay upright and like, which way am I facing? Am I sideways right now? Because, you know, we, we want to be able to say like, if you got into gone home and you aren't someone who's like a, a you know, long time gamer, but you know, you, you, invested yourself and gone home and, and you're like, Oh, I can, I can play a game like this because we, you know, we know that there are a lot of people who it's like, Oh, gone home was my first first person game and it was cool. And so then I played portal, you know, and then I played, you know, whatever I played Stanley parable. I played X, Y, Z. And it's great that, um, gone home could be an entry point for some people. And so we don't want to say, and now jump 20 steps ahead in complexity and, and you can't even find your way through our game anymore. So it's trying to find that balance between, Yes, you're using the first-person controls that you're used to, but also you have to think about what if I was navigating the space using those controls in a, a slightly more robust way. Right. You know? Yeah, I definitely found there were a couple points where I was just sort of wandering around aimlessly, and then it occurred to me, I was like, oh, maybe I should look up, and it's like, oh, that's <laughs> where I need to go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. well, and some of that. And it's a classic um, game challenge uh it's 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 a little bit of a risk to make a first person game about looking up because as a FPS designer, 
rule number one is the player never looks up right like don't put anything above them they're not going to look up and yeah. see it um i'd, I'd swear if, if there was a line about that in the magic circle if i'm not right. mistaken yep. about and, that exact thing and i worked with jordan on bioshock too, yeah, yeah, yeah. Play, like i mean because i remember like you know when i when i when i played bioshock one as a player i played it and i finished it and i and i liked it a lot and then i um was interviewing uh at at 2k marin to be a designer on Bioshock 2. And so one of the things that they did, they were like, play part of this level um, and like critique it. Like run if, if this was a level design review meeting, what would you say about this this level in Bioshock 1? And like it wasn't, and I had played through the game multiple times uh, up to that point. And it wasn't until I was in there that I realized like in a bunch of the sea tunnels, you know, the glass tunnels that lead to different parts of the city. They're like gigantic neon signs that say what part of the city you're going to above the tunnel. <laughs> and I had never noticed them because yeah. it's above the eye line. And so anyway, um, you know, hopefully we're able to, um, to kind of instill in the player, the thought like, okay, I should, I should think of this as more than, than a 2d experience. And, you know, we do some of that by saying like, you can't get through the game without doing it. So hopefully it kind of stays in your tool belt as you explore. Um, but you know, it is something that we just have to be conscious of making sure that the player is kind of like fluent with, uh, so that they, so they don't get stuck and, and kind right. of forget what their options are. Word, word of the wise. If you, if you get stuck, look up, <laughs> I guess. Well, that's yeah. the, I think that, uh, yes, that's true. So in, in the demo you played, um, you know, you like open a thing and it's like, use right mouse button to look closer and there's like this uh, and then the first time that you need to use the surface transfer mechanic the tutorial text that comes up just says look up. i did notice that <laughs> i was like huh that's very direct <laughs> and then you look up and they're in and it and it's like oh i see i can get up there yeah. Yeah. yeah um but you if we didn't say look up when you got into there everybody'd be like well i i guess i'm done here absolutely not <laughs> would not have tried yeah yeah, yeah. I mean, you, even, you have to give them that initial nudge right because well, even in that space it's like a little it's a very you know like uh contained space and there's an ar like sign on the wall that's like a huge red arrow pointing up that says the names of other places people do not register that you're not like oh maybe i should look up there you're just right. like huh cool sign it's like, <laughs> I don't it's like not until you have to pull them out of the game a little bit and right. flash this kind of almost tutorial text yeah. in their face yeah yeah and you know it, there, there's stuff the, the tutorial stage is when it's still okay to mm-hmm. be a little bit meta and then you're like okay we're good sure go ahead sure. <laughs> um so uh i feel like there's uh there's been um a little bit of a swing in in recent years in in, mm. in movies about space. Oh yeah, there's been a little bit more of a swing back toward uh, kind of more austere, like quote unquote, like hard science fiction. You know, yeah. like Moon and Interstellar and stuff. Gravity, like, yeah, yeah, gravity, like very yeah. like hard, like right now science yeah, fiction, stuff yeah. like that. You know, or just you know things that treat treat the subject matter a little more. You know, it's not as grandiose. It's not as yeah. like action packed and high flying. It's, it's a little more bound by. In most, in a lot of cases, not always. You know, there's always Hollywood magic going on, right. but there's you know there's a little more of yeah. just the the basic boundaries of what you can and can't do out yeah. there as a human being. Like, do you feel like you know just superficially it looks like this game sort of is cut from that kind of cloth? Like, does it feel that way to you guys? And and did you uh, have you guys made like getting the science right or like kind of understanding the mechanics of this stuff like a, a priority or is that a factor? Yeah, it is, and it's um, though it's less. Um like you know bound by our our present uh reality than i think 
uh like i haven't played it yet but um you know from what i know of like adrift for instance it feels very much like gravity it's like oh that's like a very iss looking station and it seems like this is stuff that's much more kind of like how would the science work now and we're going to make a game about that um we are certainly influenced more by i think you know our background with like the bioshock series where it's like we we want to make a station that could theoretically exist if there was like more advanced technology available if there were certain motivations behind it as far as like what the company is that built the place and what their identity is and what they're trying to accomplish um and so you know some of that uh leads us to come up with mechanics that we wouldn't otherwise because we're like okay you know in our fictional world we theorize that there's a space elevator uh anchored in singapore which means that you can send stuff up into space to be manufactured in zero g so you don't have to like the reason the iss is basically like a series of tubes as it, as it were um, is because it has to fit in a rocket that can escape the atmosphere. Mm -hmm. And then, and so if we're like, well, in our timeline, we can make these big grand, you know, pressurized uh, uh, cavernous spaces that are kind of more impressive. Um, it means you have to think differently about how you would navigate that space. Cause like in the ISS, you're never more than arm's length from something you can grab onto and push yourself along with and stuff. But if you're in this giant open zero gravity space like Tacoma is, then we're like, okay, so you would need like magnetic boots so you can stick to surfaces. Right. Like there are, there are like proper rooms in the station. Not, right. it's not just a bunch of tiny capsules. Yeah. Or whatever. And, yeah. and some of that comes from saying like, well, why would that be? And we're like, well, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a tourism facility. You know, it's like right now, everybody who goes to space is like an incredibly, well-trained you know expert master of like science and like probably ex-military right. and like you know just a and um and what we're saying is that well two generations from now a lot of people can go to space it's not actually as hard to, to, to like get certified to go up and so you know we're saying like well you know virgin tesla made a design decision that was like we're going to try to make the station have more directionality and feel like it has more of an up and a down so that like our customers will feel more comfortable. And so that people who haven't spent 20 years just training hard every day to be an astronaut can just kind of go up there and be like, Oh, okay, I get it. Like this, this kind of works like a normal building. I have to, you know, do things differently, but it's, it's kind of more approachable and you know, the, it, it's a, it's a two way street where it's like that allows us to kind of give that, that experience to the player as well and say like oh, okay so this 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 follows some rules i'm used to and the ones that don't work the same are kind of additive to that um but you know within that yeah it's like we were like well if there's a station between the earth and the moon where would it actually be and there's like this concept of lagrange points mm -hmm. that are um you know the stable points between a three body problem um like the oh, you guys have done your homework yeah um <laughs> and so we're like okay so we'll say that the station is at lagrange point one mm -hmm. and so that would be here in space and so out the windows how big would actually the earth versus the moon be and it's like well we look it up uh the earth would be like a little bit bigger visually than the moon from there but they'd be kind of close to the same size you know just like with it's it's one of those things where the 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 constraints might be like kind of more fantastical but we need to be comfortable with being able to say like but if they were going to do this here's how it might actually be feasible and might actually work um because you know we don't 
we don't want to just be hand wave like we wouldn't be satisfied if it was like well why is it like that and the answer was oh, i don't know it cool <laughs> that's, that's how we drew it uh, yeah. um so yeah it's uh it's an interesting space to to work in because we're just basically trying to apply rigorous principles to something that may never actually exist in that form you know right yeah, you know I, f- I feel like even if the details seem insignificant like they they Cumulative, they cumulat- cumulatively. Yeah. Thank goodness, it's Friday afternoon. <laughs> a lot of talking this week. You know, even if they all roll up, yeah. or, or you know, they're and, and good lord, I'm gonna have to go back and edit this. Even, <laughs> no, you're not. They even, love it. The kids love it. Even if each of those details in, uh, individually are are trivial, you know, they all kind of cumulatively yeah. roll up into this feeling of of reality, or, yeah. or you know, they contribute to. Yeah, a hole that is more believable, even if you're not like sitting there going like, "Oh, they got the size of the Earth just right from this distance or whatever." Right, like it, it all feels a little more grounded. Yeah, and you know, hopefully, it leads you to something that's a little bit more surprising than um, than what you might naturally do. You know, because it's a lot of times it's just really mundane questions like, "Okay, uh, there's a passenger bathroom in the station." How would somebody wash their hands? Yeah, I know. Actually, know? the sinks are not sinks. I, I totally <laughs> forgot about that until you brought it up. It looked like a contraption that you stuck your hands into the sides of. Is exactly. That, yeah. Oh, because the water would go everywhere. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> wow. All right. And so, see, stuff, it does matter. Yeah. There's stuff like that where it's like, the, there's this interesting thing that you encounter, and you're like, why is it like that? Oh, I see. I guess it makes sense that only comes out of us kind of doing the research and mm-hmm. like, what are the considerations that an astronaut now has about? Yeah, not just getting big globules of water all all over the station and for a you know a a population that's going to be on this facility that isn't necessarily an expert like that how would they build it so that it's kind of idiot proof and and you could just use it naturally and not cause huge trouble on on the station and then you get to encounter that thing you know as the end product and you're like oh that's interesting Hmm." you know And, and so hopefully that just kind of makes it i mean that's one of the reasons that we wanted to say the whole station is in zero G because if you're like, well, it's a ring state ring shaped station and has artificial gravity or something, then it's like, what's the sink look like? Ah, I guess it looks like a sink. <laughs> it looks yeah. like a space sink. Right. Yeah. But like a zero gravity space sink is kind of more interesting and more surprising and makes you think a little bit more about how it works than something that's just a normal terrestrial sink, but on a space station. Sure. Sure. Um, do you have any read on where you guys are at with this thing? Any, any, well, we've been working on it. Loose target. Yeah. I mean, we've been working on it since like May of last year. Um, and you know, all we know is we're, is, is we're aiming to come out in 2016. Um, you know, we're aiming for somewhere in the middle, but we have built, you know, a relatively small part of the game to a relatively high level of finish, which is the same thing we did with gone home. And so hopefully now we can say, okay, we've got our tool set. We kind of know how a chunk of the, you know, it's, it's, it's sort of the equivalent of like what one hopes is like the good version of a vertical slice, which is like, okay, let's get our features in. Let's make a piece of content that has like a satisfying loop to it. And now we can take those learned lessons and make more of the game, um, using that, uh, in a kind of like stable, uh, uh, more efficient way. And so, um, you know, I feel, I feel good about where we're at. We have a bunch more stuff to build. Um, but yeah, hopefully somewhere in the, in the middle of next year. Is it atypical? I mean, this, this is my impression. This is like, it could be totally wrong. I've never made a game. You obviously have made several, so you'd know better than I do. But like, my impression has always been that maybe it's, it's more common to games with a lot more moving parts and a lot bigger teams, but like, it feels like they're built more broadly, or I always feel like I get the sense that's like, well, they build the entire game out to a very low degree of fidelity, you know, and like, 
everything kind of comes together right at the end. Yeah. Or like the polish pass is kind of right at the end, right? You know, like you always hear about like, oh, like we had to stop everything we were doing on the rest of the game to build the E3 demo, which is like you said, is a big vertical, is a small piece of the game, but it's built yeah. all the way up. Like, is that, are you guys like kind of doing things in a, in a more atypical way? Like, is that, I, I is think, that different th- than usual? I think kind of, yeah. Um, you know, we have the, we have the luxury of being able to say like, we're just going to build it in order, you know? And I think that, that doesn't mean that you don't go back and like do additional passes on the early stuff later. Um, but I don't know. I always feel like I've never worked on a game where you, how do I put this? Where you like every game that I've, that I've worked on, it's like at the end of development, they go back and just like totally redo the first level because you've discovered what the, first level needed to do based on yeah like you were saying like generally most games that i'm aware of it's like okay let's like let's let's get gray block in for the whole game and everybody be building your levels and we're trying to get them all you know like going up uh in in quality and and finish uh kind of like like raising the bar and all of them simultaneously but the thing is you're discovering a whole lot about what the game actually is through that process and so you end up going back and you're like oh this thing that we found out you know that's important to the game in level eight we need to like put that in all the other levels and i i don't think that there's like a right way to make games at all but for us you know i think that how you get the player into the game like how you introduce them to the game and how you like draw them into to how it works um that informs a lot to me about the rest of the experience and so you know i think because having you know having been a level designer on big big projects, I think it's really hard to build level four when you don't know what was in level one or level three. You know, you're like, okay, here's your mechanics and here's what has to happen to the story in your level. Go. And you're like, what? But what if stuff before my level changes? You know. So like, we I think prefer to say, let's start at the beginning. Let's build the first chunk. Let's say that first chunk has to feel finished quote unquote before we move on and now a we know there's a bunch of stuff that isn't going to change very much because if it did we would be like wasting a whole lot of work so it kind of like it 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 gives us one immovable point to react to and also yeah like like i was saying it allows us to say okay so we have this chunk that kind of contains a little bit of most of everything that's going to be in the game and we can apply that forward and if we then make the next area and we discover, Oh, actually there's this extra cool thing and we can put some of that back in, in the earlier part of the game. That early part of the game is at least developed enough that we can say like, Oh, we know we have a little space here and there's a little opportunity there to kind of seed that stuff back in without really just kind of like disrupting the whole process. Um, so I, I do think that it's atypical and I think that it is something that, um, generally you only really have the option to do if you are a small team and if you if you can just kind of say like okay literally everybody on the team is working on this part for now and then this next part you know um but uh it's 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 nice that everybody can kind of say oh we all work together to make how this thing starts mm-hmm. and so we know what track we're on and now let's keep going forward it does it, it does sound almost self-evident when you put it really succinctly like you did you just say you have the luxury of building the game in order 
and maybe it may be even more so for a really story driven game like this because like you, you wouldn't write a book out of order or a screenplay you know like you would start at the beginning and, and go through it linearly so i mean it depends i think like i think that a lot of i think a lot of authors like start with the end you know mm-hmm. or start with like a few scenes they have in mind and they kind of like make these points they have to fill in the gaps between or or whatever so i think there's i think there's a ton of ways to do it and it is like obviously if you have like 600 people on a team you can't have 600 people on the first hour of sure. the game and then move them all to the second <laughs> that'd be hour. a hell of an hour though. yeah it, well at some point all 600 people yeah, do go on yeah, the first sure. hour <laughs> because they're like we gotta we gotta hook them um but you know so so a lot of its scale a lot of its um just the the pro the the options that you that you have for the process um but you know for for us i think i think there's something that's interesting about working serially you know what i mean i think there's something that's interesting about saying you can't really go back and change chapter one um you just have to make chapter two work because you know i mean they're like in like the 19th century it was a lot more common for like authors to release novels like in a serial fashion it's like here's the first part of the book okay that's literally already out. I can't. And, and that's what's interesting in a lot of cases about like television or something. You're like, well, we can't change season one. Season two has to like make sense in, in the context of season one. And I think that that's a lot of, of what we value internally is saying like, nope, we have, we have these immovable constraints to answer to. And so if we want to do something in the second half of the game, it has to make sense with the first half of the game. And if we really need to change something in the first half, it has to be like, the smallest change possible to address the problems that we have, you know, cause like in gone home, we did make the first part of the game and then we were like, okay, uh, what happens next? <laughs> and, and we, and we got to the end and we didn't have the ending of the game until really close to the end of development. Like it was like two weeks before we did our final round of voice recording with Sarah Grayson. We didn't know what the ending of the game was and we were working on it and blah, blah, blah. And we were like, what's the, you know, we, we have, we need this and this and this to be true. So how do we get there? It needs to be like, they know that they're going to, that Sam and Lonnie are going to be like pushed apart, but they can't just decide that they're not like what. And, um, so late in, you know, in that process, Carla and I were just standing in the kitchen and she was like, what if Lonnie has, has signed up to enlist in the army? She's got an enlistment date. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. If she was a military kid, that would make a lot of sense. And then that would be a thing that she's like, I've got the day I have to be at, at basic and I can't change that. And so like, we had to in in the so in the first part of the game we only changed two things and it was we updated one line in one audio diary for Sam to mention that Lonnie was wearing her like army uniform when she saw her and there's one photo of Lonnie in her army uniform and that's it. <laughs> yeah, know, I, guess, it. I guess it doesn't take much to like plant the seeds in the player's head, right? right. Just like like oh, a couple of hints here and there are enough to prime yeah. you for this revelation later yeah. on. And so, you know, that it's it it it's something that kind of forces us not to say like, oh well let's just like re rewrite all the audio diaries in the whole first half of the game. Um because they're already there. So so it just it's it's a really good way to to keep us reined in and say like what is the smallest but most significant thing that we can do to pay off what we need to do in the in in the rest of the experience cool all right i have one last question oh no (laughs) it's a humdinger though (laughs) well i love humdingers so have you figured out what the hell firewatch is oh i think it well it's uh 
Gone Home in the Woods, I okay, think one guy right, said right. one time. I there see. was a guy at PAX one time okay. who I think described it that way. I thought that was really <laughs> prescient of him. Uh, <laughs> very illustrative of what that project is. How many turtles are How many first-person handheld turtles are there in Tacoma? Well, I mean... Space, Regardless, space they're going to they're, they're going to beat us to market with that one. Oh, they're they're going to yeah. corner the the space turtle. Market. Oh, okay, all right. Yeah. Uh, I'm I'm pretty sure. So uh, we're going to have to we're going to have to step up our game, one up the space turtle. Sure, <laughs> the turtle. Because I, I don't think I don't think just taking the turtle and putting it in space is enough. And then in Tacoma two, you find out it's the same turtle. <laughs> uh, all right, Steve. I'm not going to keep you here forever. You got a flight to catch and stuff. But, well, thank uh, you for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming by. And, yeah, uh, appreciate the uh, early look at the game. It's good being back here in the in the recording space. Yes, with you. yes, this August recording space. <laughs> many many eminent figures have come through. No, no they haven't. All right, thanks again. Yeah, absolutely.